Hello and welcome to What We Talk About When We Talk About Tech, a podcast about tech storytelling and the words and narrative shaping the industry. I'm Rich Gall, you can follow me on Twitter at Rich G Gall and I'm here with my co-host Jennifer Riggins as always, you can follow her on Twitter at JK Riggins and in this week's episode we're talking with Nakima Profit who is the Community Marketing Manager at Armoury. Now Nakima's had a really interesting journey into tech, she had a stint at Lambda School that some of you might be familiar with and we're going to talk to her quite a bit about that later and she's also written a book as well about her experience which is going to be published later this year so yeah so there's lots to talk about about her experience and how she's found starting at Armoury as well which is a technology she hasn't sort of had much experience of um, so yeah so lots of good insights in this conversation um, but yeah thanks for joining us Nakima how are you? Hi I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it'd be good if you could just kind of introduce uh, yourself to everyone listening, kind of who you are and what you do and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm still working on getting my elevator pitch (laughs) for who I am, but I am Nakima Prophet. I was born and raised in Sacramento. I consider myself a generalist technologist. I don't subscribe to a specific programming language or framework or even... uh, just programming. (laughs) Like I just, I love tech and I love the potential that it has to improve human lives. I'm also a mother. I'm an artist and I've been really excited to talk about my tech journey lately because I got my first full-time tech role last year. I think that's, first of all, congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I've been following you for way longer than that on Twitter. And I think you actually gave the best definition so far for tech storyteller, which is, or <laughs> people in that area, which is you love tech and the potential that it has to improve human life. I just wanted to echo that. That doesn't mean it's doing it, but it has the right. potential for. <laughs> but I think that's actually a really... I guess, broad definition of all of our crazy jobs, but you actually were probably more succinct than most people in your elevator pitch. (laughs) How did you get there? Like, tell us your story. Okay, so I guess it starts back in 1982. When I was born, I was a really shy kid. I always loved anything tech, like anything electronic, like that is what I was drawn to. The first time I encountered a computer, I think was in my second grade classroom. Uh, We didn't have one at home back then, but a few years later, like while I was still in elementary school, we had a family computer and we had internet access through like AOL, I think. (laughs) We had internet access and that was like, it was that social interaction. So I had access as a kid and I would be in Yahoo chat rooms and somehow like those chat rooms led to me creating web pages on uh, GeoCities and Angel Fire. Was it Angel Fire? <laughs> yeah, like I like those really like I wish I could see what I created back then, but I know it was probably really cheesy and like flashy. But yeah, I just played around with HTML back then. I wasn't a MySpace neopets or what is that what that was called i don't know i would i didn't do those things <laughs> i just kind of like hanged out in chat rooms but yeah i'd always just had this 
attraction to working with computers. So that was just, yeah, that was my free time activity. That was, it was never, back then it was never like, I want to be a person who does this as a career. It was just, I like, I like electronic stuff. I like computer stuff. Fast forward, my first programming class was in... High school and it was a math class. It was, we were learning Pascal and I took home this huge, like 20 pound laptop with no color screen to write these Pascal programs. And we would print them out on a, a dot matrix printer that was in the, in the <laughs> math department. So that was it. And I always say like, I don't remember anything about Pascal, like nothing. I don't, I don't even know how you would write hello world. So I don't think, it's okay. <laughs> I don't think you're using it anymore. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was high school. And I, back then, so yeah, I think I was around 16 ish then, but back then I wanted to be a professional dancer. So that was my life goal. That was what I was going to do. No plan B, like I'm leaving Sacramento and I'm going to dance for a living. And the funny part about that is I don't know that the dance teachers in my life knew that I had that passion for dance because I was still very shy and introverted and dance is really hard <laughs> for me. Like it's hard for me to perform and to, yeah, to be seen by other people. But somehow I held on to dance for several years. Um, I started late, so it, it wasn't like I started as a little kid. I started in middle school, so it was already a long shot that I was going to make it to a professional level. But that was my my life goal at the time. So I, because of my interest in computers, I took all the computer classes I could. There was a web design class. We had a lab with a colorful Mac iMac. I think it was the, the first <laughs> version of it with like the plastic bright colors. Yeah, so we had a, a graphics design lab. And I think that, I think web design fell under that. So I took that class and yeah, I just, with any chance I got, I would, I would pursue the tech stuff, but it wasn't my focus. My focus was dance. And after high school, I did get accepted to two dance programs. So I was accepted to CalArts and the Ailey School. So I decided to go to the Ailey School. And I don't know. So like, this is where <laughs> it takes a turn. So I, I danced like from middle school through high school, finally, like, got accepted to the program and, and left. Like I did go to New York, but once I was there and enrolled in school, I didn't even finish one full semester. I did a summer intensive there. And then in the fall semester, I dropped out. So I dropped out. A lot of that was due to 9-11. So I was actually in New Jersey. I was living in New Jersey and I would commute to school in Manhattan every day. And it was tough. I was 18 and pretty much by myself in the city, like away, like thousands of miles away from everything I've known. And New York can be a tough place. So, um, so that added complexity made it hard. So I dropped out and I kind of thought, oh, I'm going to go back. <laughs> like, I'm not going to give up. But it just never really happened. I held on to the dance dream for a while, but eventually it fizzled out because I never did it full time again. After I dropped out of school, it was never a, an everyday thing. So yeah, so I stayed in New York, kind of still determined to make it there. <laughs> and that didn't happen. I mean, it it happened. I survived it, but it was it was a lot. It was very difficult. And years pass and I get pregnant in New York. 
So that's where tech starts to become a focal point because once I was pregnant and I was sure that I was pregnant and I was going to continue <laughs> with that, I was like, okay, I need to do something that's going to support me and a baby. And I've always liked tech. And actually like in the part that I fast forwarded through, like when I stayed in New York, I did actually start to, I wanted to pursue computer science, but the way that the college programs were set up, like I was one of the schools I, I went to was Hunter College. And um, and like you couldn't just take the computer science classes. You had to, there were prerequisites for that major. So I would have to like get there with my math before I could even get into computer science. So like I ended up taking pre-calculus and never taking a computer science class. So yeah, it was always like in the back of my mind, not in the forefront until I had a baby or until I got pregnant. So now I'm pregnant and like I got to do something that's going to support me. And I left New York, went back home. And while I was still pregnant, I enrolled in the community college here. And it was like a certificate program called Web Developer. So this Web Developer certificate should take about a year <laughs> to complete. But I was pregnant and then I had a baby and then I had another baby. <laughs> so I have two and they're about 14 months apart. So back then, online classes were not very robust, but they were what I depended on so that I could be full-time mom and do school. So it took me several years to finish a one-year certificate because I had to take online classes and they just weren't always available. So that was that. Years passed and I finished the certificate. Yay. Try to look for a job and I don't really know how to do that. It felt like I was always just so close <laughs> to getting somewhere and then there would be this this turn where nothing happens. I was in um, a program as a student. My professor who taught most of the web development classes, she liked me and she she saw potential in me and she recommended me for this, what's it called? Like a, a student, like mentoring program. And there was another woman who was in my class who, who was in the program too. I know that she got like a decent job out of that. I didn't even get mentorship out of it. Like I met with my mentor once and that was it. Like, I never saw him again. <laughs> so that was that. And I was like, oh, like, I need to get a job. So I started to look, I started to go into the community and like find the tech community locally and started going to meetups. I think one of the first tech meetups I went to was a Ruby meetup. And I didn't know Ruby, but I just went because <laughs> it was it was tech and they were cool. It was fine. And it was at our local like hacker lab, which is like a maker space. And I was just searching and like trying to find opportunities to just get a foot in the door. And I signed up for a startup weekend. And I, I signed up for this because I wanted to practice development on a real project. <laughs> so I signed up as a developer at a startup weekend and accidentally left that weekend feeling like an entrepreneur because my team won and my work was actually, I didn't code, but I created this Envision prototype that was like clickable and just looked like an app on your phone. And we won. And then there was immediately like this fallout <laughs> on my team where the person who had the idea for the, the startup kind of took ownership of it 
and fired us, <laughs> fired the rest of the team and was like, hey, like, I'm going to take these prizes and just like do this company by myself with my friend. And at that moment, something snapped in me when I watched her pitch our project with her friend who was not involved at all as if they did that work. Like I saw it with my eyes. I was in the room <laughs> when she made this pitch. It's just something just snapped. And Nikima, who was always very quiet and very much a doormat, even when I was in my um, my community college classes, I would just get bulldozed. <laughs> like I was, I would always be, put, we had a group project at the end of every class and I'd get paired up with an older man <laughs> who's more experienced and just would kind of like send me to go decorate while he did the real coding. So I was always bulldozed. I was always kind of like, I didn't stand up for myself. But at that moment, I was like, I took a weekend away from my babies, <laughs> away from my kids for the first time ever. I contributed, like I created the face of this and you're going to just erase me from it and you're going to take the prizes that we earned as a team. So no, like that like flipped a switch <laughs> in my head. So we ended up getting disqualified because I made a fuss about what happened. Second place became first place and we got to use as individuals, the prizes that we could use as individuals. So that was fine. But then, so like I had this whole like mindset change, which was like, I want to get into tech. I'm hitting walls and I have problems. <laughs> like I have these problems that I want to see solved in the world. So maybe I'm the one who needs to solve these problems. Maybe I'm the entrepreneur. So that kind of started my founder journey, which was messy. And I, yeah, it started my founder journey. I ended up going through a bunch of programs to like teach me how to be a founder. And back then, I was homeschooling my kids back then. Uh, they were homeschooled since second and first grade. So one of my biggest problems was I'm homeschooling and I, I think that homeschooling should be better. <laughs> like I think it should be a better experience and like more inclusive. And the other part of my problem was I want to work in tech and I want to be a homeschooling mom and I'm a single mom and tech doesn't feel friendly to parents and it doesn't feel friendly to caretakers and it doesn't feel friendly to children. So if I'm always with my children, I'm not really having opportunities to be in the tech scene. That's how it felt. So my solutions back then started out looking like, oh, this is going to be an alternative school, but with a workspace for parents. That evolved into the last kind of iteration of that idea was an actual co-working space that is age inclusive and welcoming and accommodating for children. So that was the last iteration of that idea. I tried to crowdfund <laughs> for that. I tried to raise $10,000, I think, and I didn't make my goal. And then I think around that time, I don't know if I'm getting the timeline mixed up or not, but I got a scholarship to Lambda School <laughs> and I went to Lambda School. And I was, I thought that was a great opportunity because I had been looking at Lambda School for a while. <laughs> like I think I followed Austin on Twitter and like I saw when he was doing these experiments with like giving people housing and giving people computers to attend Lambda School. Uh, so I got in in the Summer Hackers program, which was sponsored by Jessica Livingston. And this program included a $9,000 stipend 
and free tuition. So like, wow, that's a great deal. And Lambda School has a great reputation as far as I know. For those listening, Lambda School is, it's a boot camp. Oh. How does it, how would you describe it? Oh, okay. So Lambda School is an online coding school and it, they have, I don't actually, I'm not sure because it's been a while since I looked at it. But when I went, they had web develop, like full stack web development, UX and data science and mobile. So they had those tracks. Yeah, and they're and it's completely 100% online. I would say they're one of like the more known they're more known for the pricing model like the income sharing agreement. <laughs> so the income sharing agreement is like you say, okay, you don't have to pay anything to start this program and get your education until or unless and until you get a job in tech that is making more than $50,000. And then at that point, you start repaying the tuition that you owe us. Yeah. So I did go to Lambda School and I went because it wasn't possible for me to go under nor normal circumstances. Like even if I were to do the part-time program, I think back then, I don't know if it is this way now, but I don't think you could get an ISA in the part-time program, but I don't know. And I just I didn't have time. I didn't, I think it's something like 18 months for part-time and nine months for full-time. And I was like, I, I can't do full-time for nine months. I have already, like I'm full-time mom and I'm trying to like, <laughs> I can't do that. But this was different because I had a stipend and it was only 15 weeks. So it's like, you could choose to do the whole program, but this was supposed to be 15 weeks for the summer hackers, which was to encourage women. They were all women to learn how to code. So I did that and put everything with my company on hold because I'm like, this is going to be great for my company, like whatever. And the blog post that was written about the summer hackers program was like, yeah, we want to see more women founders because if more women can code, then we'll see more founders. <laughs> but yeah, I'm laughing because... I don't really agree with that. But back then I did. I, I thought, oh, that's a really cool idea. And that sounds like me. So I applied and I was initially rejected. And then a couple of days before it started, I got in. Went through Lambda School. Mm, I'm not going to badmouth them. I have in the past. So I'll say that. <laughs> but I did not like what I saw there. Did not like how I felt there. Did not like how I saw other people coping <laughs> and like getting through. Uh, it just seemed like a lot of people were doing this in a way that didn't seem helpful, like not helpful, healthy. And at the same time, they were struggling with holding on to the concepts. And here I was like, I already knew how to code. <laughs> I've been coding for over a decade, right? So it was easy breezy for me. Like it wasn't no big deal, but it bothered me to see that this was something that was heavily marketed to very beginner software developers, and it just didn't feel like they were set up for success. And there was just some things that I saw that were that I felt were disturbing. How much money do you end up? Fifty thousand a year, especially if you live on the coast or a city in the U.S., is nothing. <laughs> just to give the yeah. rich as British, uh, it's just apples and oranges when you talk U.S. salaries. Right. Right. Uh, and that could, what 50,000 could mean, even if you're including health insurance and things, it's completely different, but you have debt and you being, be, the existence of being American is debt, credit card and educational, like that's not a lot. So I'm wondering automatically how much you have to pay back because 50,000 isn't a lot to be starting to pay back stuff, especially in tech. Yeah, it was, I believe 17% of your income 
was supposed to go back and that the actual tuition was something like 30k which is wild to me so yeah there's that and then so i was i was in this position of relative privilege because i was there for free it was better than free for me and i already knew how to code so like when i got a job like i didn't have to pay an isa back so i kind of felt obligated to use my relative privilege to speak up about what i saw but yeah i did not finish my 15 weeks and i didn't get that last $3000 of my stipend because i dropped out it just felt really bad and i'm like i don't need this so yeah lambda school was another turning point because now it's like oh i'm seeing a part of tech that i don't like <laughs> like i don't like this and i i feel like somebody's got to do something different to really support these people that like i it's a good i don't even think it's malicious well i don't know i'm not going to pretend to know what people are thinking but i think a lot of times most people have their heart in the right place when they are promoting coding schools and yeah like programs that are supposed to get people into tech i think people have their hearts in the right place but they're not these programs are not being implemented in a way that like it doesn't feel like it's it's effective <laughs> like I, it it takes a lot and i think part of it is there's this this is part of what bothered me about the lambda school marketing is that they were pretty anti education <laughs> like anti like traditional education which is weird for a school to be like hey you don't need college like just do this but that's not it's not equivalent <laughs> it's like college is even if you like one of the claims is like oh you're getting you know these 1000 hours of programming hours and that's more than you're going to get in a cs program and yeah but it's not the same as a college degree it's not recognized as edu you know like so um recruitment software linkedin are built around that four year degree right so like i it bothered me a lot to see and yeah i was starting to say people have their right their hearts in the right place cuz they're like yeah these people are going to start with zero skills get the skills get a job and it doesn't really work like that for everybody <laughs> it doesn't really it's not that straight line of you study for a year and you're ready to work and people want to hire you not really i don't see that happening in the numbers that i think it should be happening with how many people are in these coding schools and i think what happens is that um we want it to be that way in a just world it would be that way but we are what is actually happening is that people are benefiting from privilege in a way that is unspoken so if you are a young white man able bodied I mean, regular, yeah, regular young white guy, and you just graduated high school, you immediately go to coding school, finish, you know, you know how to code now, great, gonna go look for a job, you're going to be received in a way that's different than how I'm received as a black woman who has decades of, of like coding exposure. I'm a parent, I'm neurodivergent, I have a lot of things going on. But we're not going to be received the same way and we're not received the same way in this industry. So, I think when you say that just boot camp is enough or just coding school is enough, that's true for some people and it's 
definitely, I think that is really irresponsible to put on people who are marginalized and underrepresented in tech because it's it's setting people up for unrealistic expectations, saying that you don't need college. You can just go to coding school and get a six-figure job. I mean, you can. I did it. <laughs> you can. But I actually did go to college. I mean, I didn't get a degree, but <laughs> I did go to college and I've been coding forever. So it's just like I... So I was looking at this from this perspective of like, I know this stuff. So, and it also, okay. So I started talking about education. I felt like this disdain for, for education and like the skill that it takes to teach beginners. Like it's not easy because you're a great coder or, you know, a a great programmer. That doesn't mean that you know how to teach and it doesn't mean that you know how to teach beginners and I just didn't see at this particular school, I just didn't see like a lot of skill or attention paid to like the art of <laughs> of teaching and and like how do you yeah, everyone was struggling. So everyone who didn't have experience, they weren't getting it and they were trying to beat this into their brains and it wasn't because they weren't trying hard enough. I don't know what it was. Maybe the curriculum wasn't right. I don't know. But people weren't getting it. And I, I felt like it was just this really flippant attitude of like, hey, just learn to code and everything's going to be good. And that's not real life for some of us, <laughs> for most of us. <laughs> there was no alumni, lack of a term for in the boot camp world, but alumni association or job training, how to find oh, job oh, connections, they, feeding into. I think they, they do that. I I can't speak to it because I opted out of the career services. One of the first assignments was like, tweet like Austin. I was like, nope, (laughs) no thanks. Um, Because it was like that. Oh, yeah. So one of the first assignments was like, hey, you know, when you're using your social media, make sure that you are, you know, professional and that you don't say anything controversial and blah, 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 which is not really tweeting like Austin, but whatever. But they were like, yeah, look at Austin's account. And I was like... I felt like it was, I felt like what I had observed, like from the Black women who had made it in tech, that they were very much being themselves and speaking of of their experiences and yeah, sharing those individual perspectives. And when you're a Black woman in tech, those aren't always pretty and easy to hear, easy to talk about. So I kind of felt like you are asking me to whitewash my Twitter. Like you're asking me to whitewash my social media because if I'm going to be me and I'm going to like speak truthfully about my experience, then it's not always pretty and so-called professional. So I was like, at I don't need that for career services. And I was a summer hacker. I didn't have to do it. But I think the regular students had to do it. And I, like I said, I can't speak about what happens after. I know there, there is like, yeah, there's career training throughout the program. And I think something happens after too, but I'm, I don't know. Cause I try not to think about Lambda school too much. I've already talked about them a lot, but yeah, I try not to bat at them. I mean, I think a little bit came out, but it's, it is my opinion and it's just my experience, the way I experienced it. I don't think it's a great place for, I don't think it. So another thing that bothered me was the leadership was very white and male and specifically like a lot of white, like white and male from Utah. Like, I don't know. It just seemed very like you can't brag about your diverse student body when None, like your teachers and your leadership don't reflect that student body. So there were just some things that I was just like, 
the reason why that was a turning point was that I saw that and I was like, I want to do something different. I think that people like me or people who are coming into this fresh, which I was not, need something different and they need leadership from someone who understands that perspective. And there's no way that, I mean, that's just the nature of privilege. You don't understand these things that are so far from your experience. So it's not that it makes people bad people. I just think that I would like to see a training program that is run by women of color or black women, or I know there are some, I'm not that all that familiar with what's out there, but the vast majority and the and the best no best known ones and the ones that are funded by venture capital are like run by white guys and for profit to continue the cycle of putting more white guys into the funnel oh yeah so i just it just feels like exploitation and you brought up the 50k thing and this was something that i didn't even think about really until i got my job number one 50k as a software developer is not what you should be getting paid (laughs) and taking 17 percent of that and that's you know before you're talking about i think it's your gross pay that they're taking 17 percent of you're not left with a whole lot and i was thinking because one of my first offers was for something like 54k and i was like if I had an ISA and I had to pay 17% of this and taxes and everything else that comes out of your check, I don't have, like, I'm still poor. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to be doing well. It's, I have two kids to take care of. That's not a good deal. So to me, like, yeah, that bothered me that people were praising and like promoting this as like this way to, to get ahead in life when it felt like that's not what's actually happening. Number one, I don't know how many underrepresented people are really getting hired because nobody really publishes stats that are reputable. Like the people who write about boot camps are the boot camps and like people who get paid to refer people to boot camps. <laughs> A lot of it is like, where, what are your numbers? Like what, what are the outcomes? And just from what I can see what, from my perspective, it just doesn't seem like all these all these underrepresented people are going through boot camps and just like getting great jobs and it's a great, it's like working. I don't see that happening. So for, it bothered me that people are like, yeah, this is such a great thing for people to get into tech. I've not heard a single minoritized person in tech or trying to get into tech say it was a great thing. And I just, cause I Google, I was Googling. It's mm-hmm. like, a for-profit institution, right? Kind of like Trump University, not that we want <laughs> which it is. Uh, and The Verge has a very thorough expose on the problems of it. And you're not, it's not you, it's them, it seems like. So you just feel better about speaking your truth because it's shared, it seems. Mm-hmm. So what did you do afterwards? So this was... Okay, so I think that was 2019. Yeah. So after I left, I decided to get a job because I did see that people were getting jobs after leaving Lambda school. And I was like, well, if they're doing that, then I'm in a position to do that too. So yeah, I think this was 2019. And the first of my like public job searching spectacles that I did on Twitter. So I started a hashtag called end days of job search and I was documenting my job search and like the interviews I was getting and the rejections I was getting. I I think I had a a count of all the rejections I got 
And I was just like, hey, hire me. I'm Nakima. I'm here. And a friend of mine hired me as a contractor part-time to work on her company's website. And I did that for a few months. It was something. And it was it was nice that someone said yes, that somebody said, yes, I want you to work with me. But it wasn't what I needed because part-time and $30 an hour is not what I needed. I, I needed an income that could support my family and I needed benefits and all that stuff. So I did that for a few months and like working in a very early startup made me miss working on my own very early startup. So it, it felt like I'm putting my energy towards someone else's dream and I want to do my thing still. And it was this weird feeling. Uh, so I think, yeah, I stayed for a few months and we ended that contract at the end of the year. Like we started it near the end of the year and like the first contract was until the end of the year. And so we ended it there and I, st I stopped working with them and we're still friends. So yeah, it was good. But yeah, I wanted to work on my own company and I think I did try to do that. But the issue was what it always was, is like I didn't have enough money to live off of. Like I didn't, I wasn't in a good place financially at all. I was keeping negative $500 in my checking account because I had a $500 overdraft line of credit. So I was like money that was coming in was like, just getting me to zero and a little bit over that a lot of the time. So I, I decided to actually listen to the advice that I was getting from several people who I trusted, which is why don't you get a job, get a good job, get your benefits, let your job be your first investor, you know, and like get to a place where you can be stable and good and then use that as your foundation to build your business. So that's what I decided to do. So I went back to searching for a job and I did it in public again. And this time I did it in a social way where other people were along who were looking for jobs and we had a private chat group and we had a LinkedIn group and we would uh, review each other's resumes and, you know, cheer each other on when we had interviews and stuff like that. And so it was 100 days of job search. So the goal was to have a job in 100 days or just be in a much better place to get a job than you were when you started. And a couple of us, myself included, did get a job in 100 days. So yeah, so now I'm in this position of I am working, <laughs> I'm working in tech. I got the six figure role, which is amazing, like some miracle, <laughs> it feels like. And I do still want to work on my business, but I'm, I'm also getting in, I'm getting out of crisis mode, like I'm getting out of survival mode and that is taking some time and it's taking a lot of mental shifts and, you know, yeah, even just like my physical world. I'm operating differently now because I have enough. So you mentioned before we started recording um, your, your new role. I was wondering <laughs> if you could talk a bit about what it is and yeah, who, who you work for too. Okay, yeah, I work for Armory. I'm the associate <laughs> community marketing manager. And so I work with the open source Spinnaker community and... <laughs> Yeah, Armory was the last of the offers that I got while I was interviewing, and it was the best offer. What I do right now, so a lot of it's a startup, and there's a lot of fast changes <laughs> happening. Like I, I, 
I've never worked in like, yeah, this is my first like real job. Like I've never worked in a startup or anything like that. So it's fast paced and there's a lot of movement and a lot of things that tend to be up in the air and changing all the time. And right now our marketing department, I work in the marketing department. It's very small. (laughs) There's like three of us right now. And what I've been doing mostly is trying to connect with the Spinnaker community. I started, oh, I said what I do, but what I do mostly is is content creation at this point. I've been blogging a bit. And in addition to that, I'm trying to promote things that are happening in the Spinnaker community. Like our Spinnaker Summit is coming up and it will be co-located with CDCon this year. Google Summer of Code is something that is open right now for students to apply to. So I don't know when this will come out, but probably by the time it does, we won't be doing that. But yeah, so I've been working like on trying to socialize things like that in the community. The SIG that I started, special interest group, (laughs) SIG is contributor experience SIG. And I kind of came out of nowhere as a nobody (laughs) in open source and like, saying like I'm gonna start this group and it's been really frustrating like the Spinnaker community is unlike anything that I would call a community (laughs) before joining it and I don't know how much of this because I'm new like I don't know how much of this is like regular open source stuff that you just deal with and how much of it is like is this just dysfunctional I don't know but I started this contributor experience sake because I am not well-versed in Spinnaker. My co-lead is, so he's an engineer, he works with Spinnaker, but I kind of take this this mission for like justice and inclusion wherever I go. (laughs) So my thing is like, whatever I'm a part of, I'm gonna try to make sure that we're including as many people as we can. So that's what drew me in to that role. And it's been really tough because I don't, it, it feels like, I don't know, I guess we're getting some momentum and and my manager at the time told me like, hey, it's okay to be frustrated, but everything moves really slowly (laughs) in open source. So like, it's not just you, you're not being picked on, like, it's just that things move slowly. But our goal is to make a better contributor experience. So like when you make your pull request and when you you want to contribute to the community, you have number one, someone is there to receive you <laughs> and to receive your, your contribution. And, you know, something is done with it in a timely manner. So that is the goal, but that's not really what's happening. And it's not really in my hands to fix that. So my focus now is going to be to try to create content and try to amplify voices of people who do actually know what they're talking about when it comes to Spinnaker, because I am still getting there. I'm still learning. I love this term, contributor (laughs) experience, because I write so much about developer experience Mm -hmm. and we talk about user experience, blah, blah, blah. But oddly, it's not a term I've heard before. It may exist in the open source communities. Contributor experience should be the priority and specifically when you're talking about free and open software, um, writing about Stallman reappointment <laughs> right now, so going through my own source of writing drama, but um, in that disaster, but in general, you just don't hear about that that much. And when you have such a problem in open source, when some statistics, granted GitHub has its own issues of who are its people, but its surveys are like 3% women and 1% non-binary are its contributors. We're talking like 
way less diverse than the tech industry, which is saying something. Mm -hmm. And often the diversity statistics are only on the binary anyway, and don't really get into other things. And it's because there's a mix of problems. Like, obviously, part of it is either you're working for free, you're contributing for free, (laughs) or you're getting paid by a big corporation that's sponsoring the project. Statistically, are you getting is a minoritized person by the tech community on a big at a big company that's sponsoring a project? And then there's also it's just like an openly hostile environment for a lot of people. And this are mostly on the binary around women. But I just have a strong certainty that it is across the board for any minoritized community in tech. They're just like it is across the board for everything else. But I think contributor experience is a wonderful title. And I know that seems so simple, but having a name to something especially as a tech storyteller is important. I'm curious, where does your community live? Do you have a Slack or? It's Slack. I think we borrowed contributor experience from the Kubernetes community. Fair enough. Yeah, they seem to have it together. (laughs) But yeah, we have a Slack and yeah, (laughs) we have a Slack. (laughs) Yeah, right, because you're a Kubernetes continuous delivery tool if my memory serves me right for Spinnaker. At Armory or Spinnaker is right. Yeah, don't get me lying because I, like I said, I am still figuring things out. But yeah, that sounds about right. I guess the next step. What are your plans? Is it onboarding new members? Do you have? uh, If you can talk about this, yeah. Anybody in the tech, the developer marketing sphere, developer advocate, avocado, whatever you want to call them. That's usually the hardest point. Do you have metrics with your job? That is usually the (laughs) hardest, like across the board that people struggle with. Yeah, it's hard on my team at Armory. So I'm like, yeah, I'm the community person. So we're working on it now. Um, My manager, I've only been working with her for probably like a month or so. And we're working on like my OKRs and that sort of thing. Um, I really do appreciate her because she came in and she was like, tell me what you want to do. You might be able to do this in your role. You might not be able to do it. We might be able to find people to do the things that you don't want to do. But she asked and received like, yeah, just what do you want to do? Like, what, where do you see yourself? Like, where do you, what kind of work do you enjoy doing? So we're taking that and I don't know. I do like a little bit of everything. Like right now I'm, I'm working on a web project with the Spinnaker, <laughs> Spinnaker IO. And yeah, so we're working on like having those um, metrics and goals written down so that everyone knows what I've done and that if I'm on track or if I'm not. So my goals for a contributor experience at this point, yeah, maybe it's just the slowness of open source, but we, one big win is a new person started coming to our meetings. So it was just like me and, and my co-lead and my my old manager, but now it's someone else is there. So like that already changes the dynamic of now this can be more of a collaboration and like that added perspective. We just increased by what, 33% or something. I don't know. Oh wait, I don't, I think my math is wrong, but so that's a big win. But my goals right now with that, and I was like a bit angry and prickly about my whole experience with the, as a SIG co-lead. 
I'm not now, but I think my goal is, like I said, to find ways to amplify the voices of the the developers and the contributors in the community and also to encourage people to contribute in ways that are non-code contributions. So if you want to write an article or create a YouTube demo or uh, yeah, things like that, like I think the community should have an, an easy way for people to contribute in that way. So that's more my focus because again, I'm still learning Spinnaker. I'm just just now like getting to the point where like I just got set up yesterday or something where I can play with Spinnaker as a user on our AWS instance. So like, yeah, I'm still learning. I'm not a de- I'm not a developer for Spinnaker and I don't really understand. Yeah, I don't really I'm on the code side. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I'm going to focus on on the content and amplifying voices and like giving get, making creating opportunities for people to contribute in different ways. What's the, well, obviously you're in the middle of it, but what's the like learning process been like and like, how have you gone mm. about it? But who's, who's helped you the most and who have you been working with to kind of really get into the product, I guess? Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm just getting started because when I first started at Armory, everything was like, it was like, whoosh, like, you know, like drinking from the fire hose type thing. Cause not only was it my first job in 14 years, 13 years. It was my first tech role. And it's in this, with this product that I'd never even heard of before I applied for the job. And I felt very, it felt like the stakes were high, you know, like I got to get in here and, and show my value right away and show these people that I can learn this stuff. And I have to learn this stuff because I don't know it (laughs) yet. And this is not my lane. Like this is DevOps and I'm not, I'm a web developer. So I I had a lot of anxiety when I first started and we were in the middle of Spinnaker Summit in 2020. Like we were planning for that and working with the, the Spinnaker Gardening Days, which my former manager I think she created that. They had done it a couple of times in the past, but it was this time they decided to make the whole Spinnaker. So, or yeah, the, she decided for like the open source community to make the gardening days, which was like a hackathon on Spinnaker to make it last like a whole month, like three, three or four weeks. <laughs> so that was an experiment. And so, yeah, that we were working on that when I started. And then I was like, okay, I need to learn what this company does and like the tech, like I I need to have some familiarity with what this is. And I was, it was recommended that I learn Kubernetes and I was like, okay, I started a Kubernetes like Udemy course, didn't really finish that. And like, I was just, yeah, up until like really basically now, I've just been trying to keep up with the day-to-day stuff and not super focused on learning Spinnaker. And I also dealt with coming from my background of even like being a single mom and being a, a solo founder and doing a lot of learning by myself and pushing myself along. It took a good minute for me to know how to work 
with the team and know how to work with support and know how to work when you're not expected to know everything and do everything. So it's like my job is not to know Spinnick or in and out. I'm not even a, an engineer. Like I'm not, I'm in marketing. It wasn't a requirement to be an engineer for my job. So my job is not to know it on that, you know, beyond, you know, the high level it's not to know it like an engineer would know it. And if I'm creating content, I don't have to be the knowledgeable one. I can find the person who has that knowledge and get their input and amplify them. So it just took me a while to understand that really, that number one, you're in a whole company that has money in the bank. <laughs> like we raised the series see when I when I joined. So you're in a company that has money in the bank and they're kind of just saying they're giving you the autonomy to try things out and experiment. And there are some really smart people here and people have different roles and you don't have to be the one person that makes everything happen. I don't know when I recognized that I was doing that, but it's a relief now that I know that like, okay, where I am and what I can do as one person is okay. And it's okay to ask for help. And there is help when you need it. So, okay, that was getting off the question, but yes, to learn Right now I'm going to learn and I had a meeting with one of the engineers and I asked him like, what should I start with? And he gave me like a list of some of like what the engineers do when they onboard and like some YouTube videos to check out. And I think, yeah, I've talked to several of the engineers and I, I have like a standing meeting with a technical writer on the team. So like I asked him for advice and like what I should, <laughs> what I should do next. And he actually came up with the idea. This was Brian. He came up with the idea for my learning in public blog, because I think my manager had gone on, on leave, like she had um, time off and it was just me and her in our, in our team. And I was kind of like flailing and not knowing what to do with myself. And he was like, well, why don't you, like he, he suggested blogging and blog about what you're learning and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, that's a good idea. And that's something I can do <laughs> without supervision. So yeah, he proposed that idea. I thought it was cool. My manager thought it was good. And that's how I started. And then I started out pretty unfocused. And then once we decided to focus on the certification, I think it got easier because I had like this framework to work within. It wasn't just me like thinking of things to study. So I started documenting that and I will be taking my exam in a few days. I think it's on the 9th. April 9th. Yeah, right now I am studying for the AWS exam. I'm going to check out those resources that Fernando recommended to me. And I'm just going to take my time and try to absorb things. It's actually kind of fun to be in this learning mode again, because yeah, looking for a job, you don't have time to learn new stuff. You kind of just have to like show people that you know what you say, you know, but yeah, it's kind of fun to like take notes and test myself and and feel like I learned something that I didn't know before. So you mentioned content creation. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to ask you in this sort of last sort of part of, of our conversation, what kind of different types of content creation do you do? I mean, what, I've sort of had a look at a few of your pieces and, and kind of what I found quite interesting was how you sort of tie together kind of the learning process and these sort of personal aspects 
that are personal to you, but alongside the sort of technical insights as well. Uh, I was wondering if you could sort of talk a bit more about that and kind of how you go about creating content and what you think sort of makes content effective and what you how you like to produce it, I guess. Okay, so I think I'll start with saying that Twitter was instrumental. I started out on Twitter, someone suggested that it was a good place for developers to go and to network and to look for work. And at some point, I don't know when, I just started sharing a lot, maybe oversharing the personal parts of my story. Like it wasn't just about hey, I'm a coder, I'm trying to get a job as a programmer. It was, hey, I only got $2 in gas because, oh, I didn't realize that I had hit negative 497 in the bank (laughs) and there was no more money for gas. So like I would share things like that. I would share my, my mental health struggles. I would share the problems that come along with not having enough money to cover your bills. And I would just be very open and myself on Twitter. And Twitter led me to the job I'm in right now because I put myself, I was a part of a diversified tech. She had a blog post of 50 people, I think, looking for tech jobs. And I put myself there. I think I was the only one in the DevRel <laughs> category because I wanted to be a developer advocate. And, you know, kind of like changed my expectations once I started looking for developer advocate roles because I am junior and they don't tend to be for juniors and they don't tend to be, you know, before COVID. I needed something that was 100% remote and I was a junior. And so like those two things just made it narrowed down what was available to me. So yeah, I put, I was on this blog post My manager, the hiring manager, found me and reached out on Twitter. And she was like, hey, it's not really a dev role, but it's technical. And, you know, would you be interested? And I was like, Google, what is Spinnaker? Because I had no idea. Like, I'd never heard of Armory or Spinnaker. (laughs) But I was like, "Uh, okay, yeah. And then I think I was, back then I was in my job search mode and I was still like, I would interview people back. So I'd be like, oh, so like, what are your company values? And how do you feel about the diversity and inclusion or whatever? So yeah, she sent me something with the company values. And I was like, okay. I still didn't really understand how like a software delivery tool was going to like improve lives. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, it sounds good. And that's how, yeah. So Twitter And my community there is what led me to my job. And it was, I think it's my writing that, like writing from that open and authentic voice is something that people connect with. And it's something that is maybe uncommon because a lot of us are told, you know, stay professional, like, you know, don't, (laughs) maybe like don't show weakness. I don't know. Like, it feels like, like where people are expected to put on like a strong, happy face and just be like, yes, I'm here for the job. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. And all I think about is coding. So yeah, writing on Twitter in that format led to my job. And then now that I'm in the job and the role, like I said, it's a startup and we're still small. I think we're, we might be over a hundred now, but we were definitely under a hundred when I started and a hundred people in the company. And my My role has always felt like it could be molded to me. That's one thing I do 
appreciate about the company culture is that um, as part of the interview process, there's a values panel where you talk about what do you think is good culture? What is bad culture? How do you work? Like, how do you stay productive? And I guess, you know, part of the values panel, because I've sat on a few now as an employee, is to see if people will want to work in this startup experimental environment. So yeah, that's one thing. Oh yeah, another part of that interview is you talk with an executive. So I talked with a CEO and he was like, I love that you're a founder. <laughs> like maybe you'll stay with us 10 years, maybe you won't, but what are your ideas about this and that? And like, do you think we should? So I, I felt really validated that I could just be myself and that what I was bringing as Nikima was valuable and it was accepted and it was wanted there. So the writing that I have on the Armory blog is the writing <laughs> that I do for myself. Like they're just the ideas that I came up with. And I was like, hey, um, no, yeah, it's the ideas I came up with. And my manager was like, yeah, run with it. Publish it on our blog. You can even publish it on your blog first. So I do that. <laughs> but I just, wherever I go, and this was one thing that I was afraid when I was looking for a job, I hadn't worked. I was a full-time stay-at-home mom. I hadn't had a full-time job other than that. And I was really afraid that I was going to get into a role. And I was afraid that I was going to get into a role and then hate my life, hate the work, hate my life, and just like wake up every day dreading going to work because I don't know what I'm in for. And a little bit of that happened as expected, but I really did land in a place that I can be myself and I can express myself and they like it. <laughs> like they like when I write things that are like, you know, so like one of the things that I wrote and published on my blog and the Armory blog was about getting the job and getting the job in the pandemic and how I feel like the pandemic actually opened that door for me because what it did was it put everyone in the bucket that I was in by myself for all of these years, needing to work remote, needing to have understanding that children are around. Like just that the culture shift of, hey, it's okay that your kids are in the video. Like you, we can hear children because the kids are home. My kids were, were home because they were homeschooled before this and I needed to work remote. Like I could not, I couldn't leave my kids and go work eight hours someplace or eight plus hours someplace. And just like, so it, it took all of those things that were very othering and it applied it to everyone, including the ones who are, you know, the ones who were sought after. So now it's not like, oh, wow, you're really going through a lot. Sucks to be you. Good luck with that. Now it's like, everybody's going through this and we have to like recognize that we're all humans and that we're dealing with this massive loss and trauma and stress and children and we're still working that's kind of like forced an understanding on the culture on tech culture that people are living with this <laughs> like with with all of these these challenges going on at the same time and so before it was everyone it just felt like 
no one understood that. And, and I think, and I mentioned it in my blog post that I think it made it hard to want to hire someone like me because there were just a lot of challenges and here you are, like you're new. So like you need to work remote, but a lot of company cultures don't understand how to work on a distributed team, which is why we have so much Zoom fatigue. Cause they're like, oh, I guess we're gonna do everything on Zoom now. We don't have an office and so now everything's a Zoom. But so like a lot of companies don't know how to train someone and onboard someone and like work collaboratively when you're not in the office. And they didn't want to do that with a junior uh, who had never done it before. So just things like that, where it's just like, oh, now that everybody is in this in the same, oh, I like this. I don't know who said it, but they're like, we're not in the same boat, but we're in the same storm. You know, like some people are in like a helicopter flying all over the whole thing. Some people are, are in a, a rickety lifeboat with a bucket and a hole in it, you know, so we're all in the same storm. So there is some common ground that didn't exist before. You went through this whole <laughs> experience of creating a community around job search before even your other community. What is one question you've learned or anybody in your community has learned that helps you find the right fit for a company, which by the way, I think be as you as possible on the social media because mm -hmm. it feeds out the shit. Yeah. Okay. So I think what was a turning point for me was when I decided that right now today without anything else, I'm enough. So I'm not going to study for a job interview. I'm not going to go out and try to learn something that I think is going to look good on my resume because I need a job today and I am enough today. So the right place will recognize the things that I've done already and the things that I'm showing them right now. And they will say, we want Nikima because she has what we want. And I just think that feeling of like, I'm enough really helped a lot because it gets demoralizing. You start to feel like rejections are happening. You're getting ghosted. You're applying for things and they're saying, well, we don't think you're a fit. And, you know, it's, it stings a little, like, even when you're like, eh, you know, you're lost, like it still stings to get rejected over and over again. And you like need a job. <laughs> like that's why you're looking. So, but just like, yeah, being me. And oh, also I had a, someone, a colleague talk to me and she said she has like a career. I think they do like career coaching, something like that. And she was like, find out, condense it into like a sentence of exactly the type of role you want to do and don't lie to yourself. So in our conversation, she pulled out that I said, I wanted to combine my technical skills and my community building skills in a role. And I was like, yeah, so that feels good. So, but if you, if you're lying to yourself and especially for folks who are neurodivergent or not great at masking things, if you're lying to yourself, you just come across as weird. And like, you know, just like the nonverbal <laughs> communication that we have when we're talking to each other. So if you're saying, yeah, I really want to work on this customer service line and answer phones and have people yell at me all day, I think I'd be great at that job. Like if you say that and you know that you would hate it, something might come across where it's like, and it's not conscious. It's not, it's like, yeah, it's like subconscious where it's just like, I don't know, but I feel weird about this person because like they're giving off a weird vibe. And it's because you're not being true to yourself and you're trying to convince them of something that you don't believe to be true. So if you're unless you're a good faker, like fake it till you make it is not advice that works for me. Mine is like the opposite. It's like I'm going to be me, take me or leave me. That's my advice. Cool. So I think that's a 
good place to leave it, to be honest. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, before you do go, because I know you do have to go pretty soon, but it'd be good just to get you to talk very quickly about your book that I think is coming out this year. Could you just tell us yeah, what it's about and who it's for? So far, it's going to be about my tech journey and things that I would like people to know when they get on this path from an underrepresented background. Okay, that sounds great. Um, sounds like a really important book and yeah, one that I think people are going to find really valuable. And I think if they've taken anything from you telling your story on this episode, they'll definitely get a lot from reading your book as well when it comes out. So thank you for telling us and thank you for sharing yeah, your story. Um, before you go properly, I just want to give you the chance to let people know where they can find you online, where they can learn more about you and your writing. Yeah, so nikimaprofit.com is my blog and my book waiting list page is nikimawrites.com okay um thank you so much nikima it's been great having you on it's been a real privilege and a pleasure to speak with you um we know you have to go really soon so we won't take too much more of your time up um, but all that's left for me to say is thank you for listening to what we talk about when we talk about tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our earlier episodes on our website, which is talkabouttechpodcast.com. If you go to the website, you'll also find links to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Google Podcasts, all other major podcast streaming services. So please do subscribe and please do review us. We really appreciate that. Remember to follow us on Twitter as well. We are at underscore talk about tech. Obviously follow me. I'm at Rich G Gould and follow Jennifer. She is at JK Riggins. We always like new followers. Um, but yeah, until next time when we'll be back with another guest as always, please stay safe and yeah, goodbye. Goodbye.